0: Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Shot. Thank you, Scott Giese, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and CastBox. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. We have another great show for you. We'll talk some hockey with Milwaukee Admirals goalie and former Union College standout Troy Grosnick, who was honored by the AHL on Monday. And I'll speak with Bob Godette, who announced last week that he is stepping down as Dartmouth men's hockey coach, ending a 32 year run coaching in college hockey, the last 23, with his alma mater. Well, first, the inevitable happened on Monday when the New York State Public High School Athletic Association announced that it was canceling the Spring Sports Championships. That was followed shortly by Section 2 announcing that it won't have a postseason while well, keeping open the hope of having some kind of shortened regular season. On Tuesday, I spoke with NYSPHSAA Executive Director Dr. Robert Zayas and Section 2 Executive Director Ed Dopp about the announcements. First up is Robert Zayas. Well, Dr. Zayas, appreciate you coming back on the podcast. Uh, once again, under unfortunate circumstances, uh, first of all, how, how are you doing? How are you holding up during this uh, pandemic?
1: Yeah, I appreciate you asking. Holding up really well, just uh, trying to get used to the new normal.
0: Yeah, it's it's unbelievable how we're you know dealing with all this stuff. And obviously, the announcement came on Monday that I think it was the inevitable announcement that the uh, spring sports season for the state championships was going to be canceled. Even though you know it was inevitable, I mean, how much does this hurt? Yeah, it's disappointing because I
1: realize that students are ultimately negatively impacted by this decision. But it really came down to the point where we didn't have much of a choice because of the time constraints that we're under.
0: Yeah, I mean, just you know, the fact that you know the schools are closed until May fifteenth at least, right? For right now. I mean, there's really nothing you really could have done. I mean, even if you try, even if these sports seasons get going, it's going to be tough to even have a regular season, have section two championship, sectional championships. In fact, uh, on Monday, uh, shortly after your announcement, section two announced they're not going to have their uh, tournaments this year. So it's, I mean, it's, I think it was just inevitable situation here. Where we're not going to have a normal season, I mean, even if we have a regular season for, for the for the regular high schools.
1: Yeah, I think we're we're just having to take the information as it becomes available and then make decisions um, based upon that and try not to speculate too far in advance because it's not going to serve us well with how rapidly developing the the whole situation um, is changing. Yeah.
0: And then late last week down in Long Island sections 8 and 11 announced they were canceling their seasons. I mean when when you heard that did was that just the the, the blow that said okay we're we're just going to uh, cancel our cancel everything as well.
1: No, that wasn't the catalyst for us canceling the spring state championships, and I've been asked that question a couple times. What Long Island did was de- they made a decision that was best for Long Island. Obviously, their situation um, in, in that part of the state differs from the situation or the number of cases in, in other parts of upstate New York, but um, Long Island having to cancel their spring regular season on April 21st had no bearing upon the decision that we made yesterday. Uh,
0: I'll I'll throw this out. Could you have had a state championship without those sections?
1: Yeah, we could have. That's a uh, membership-driven decision. Uh, I wouldn't have wanted to because I think considering the crisis that we're under, I I don't think that that would have been beneficial for our membership overall. But, you know, looking at it for some reason – Heard. Um, you know, I think that that would be something that I would certainly take to the membership and get their feedback on and get their approval upon.
0: How much discussion over the last uh, month or so with the athletic directors and the school administrators uh, were that? What kind of ideas were being bounced around to try and salvage some kind of state championships?
1: Well, it really got to the point where we we're losing venues. Um, SUNY Cortland notified us. Um, last week that they were not going to be able to host our girls lacrosse championships with New York Paws being in effect at least until May 15th. You know, And then once you get kids back into school and assuming that athletics is part of the reopening process, you need to have at least six practices in all spring sports. Baseball requires 10 practices. So by the time you put all those practice requirements together, when we get back into school, social distancing restrictions, you really got to try to figure out: Is there just simply enough time to hold a state championship? So, with New York pause being extended to May fifteenth, that that really made it real challenging for us to even be able to consider hosting a state championship in a manner that would be beneficial to the student athletes who are participating and the fans who are attending.
0: Had there been any consideration of maybe extending the state championship possibility, I, mean, I think what June thirteenth was the drop dead date for the, because obviously there had. Regents would have been taking place soon after that
1: yeah i mean that had been um initially kind of bounced around a little bit just within uh the internal circles of our leadership within the association but when you have to also look at when our school is going to get out of school with uh, many of them having their 180th day now being in mid-june rather right at the end of june because many schools have just went right through spring break um uh, you have to really try to analyze. At what point are schools going to be able to consider participating in a state championship event or a postseason? So um, that was a, a thought that had been kicked around, but you know, amongst many, to, to be perfectly honest. Yeah.
0: Well, let's look ahead to the fall. Right now, obviously, we're hoping that the situation will be improved by then. What, what are your thoughts right now about uh, state championships then? Because obviously I think in August the golf season will start off and then we get into football, we get into tennis, uh, soccer, uh, field hockey. So w- what are we looking at uh, for the fall? Yeah, as far
1: as the fall season, we're planning to start fall sports with practice on August 24th. But obviously with the impact that the COVID-19 crisis has had upon the winter state championships – and now the spring state championships and potentially now the spring regular season throughout the state, I think I'm trying real real hard not to speculate too much on what the fall is gonna look like until we get a little bit closer to that point. Now, we are in the process of creating an ad hoc committee to go ahead and examine and analyze potential issues with the COVID-19 crisis and the impact it could have on the fall season Um, our president of the association, Paul Herrick from Section 10, is going to go ahead and appoint that ad hoc committee when it is needed. And I I stress when it is needed because right now we're still in a holding pattern. We're waiting for direction from the governor's office, from the New York State Department of Health, and when that information becomes available and we see a need for an ad hoc committee to be created, that plan is already in place.
0: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Like I said, we're hoping that come you know, this late summer and all that, things will be back to normal, uh, somewhat normal. Uh, could you see maybe a, a, an abbreviated regular season uh, if things are still sort of uh, iffy?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's so many different options for what we could do if needed. Um, you know, and I'm in close contact with, with executive directors throughout the country, and there's some really, you know, uh, a number of options out there that some states are considering, and then you start to look at what the NCAA has been discussing and what the NFL is discussing and Major League Baseball. So everybody's just trying to make plans based upon the fact that they're worried, but without really having a lot of information. I'm trying to sit back and say, let's go ahead and wait for something to be for more to be known about what the fall could be before we start doing contingency planning, building different scenarios, and, uh, and really putting things in, into action rather than let's go ahead and examine the information as it's readily available.
0: Well, Dr. Zaz, hope the next time we chat in the fall and we're talking uh, state championships and uh, you know, the student athletes in the high schools are playing for them and, uh, and sort of gets sort of back to normal.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, that, that's, that's our goal is I'm, I'm hopeful that we can go ahead and, and resume some sense of normalcy for the benefit of the 600,000 kids that participate in interscholastic sports throughout the state of New York. But well, we have to do it in a safe and an appropriate manner based upon the health guidelines that are being provided to us by New York State. And I think when we do that and we, we put the safety of our student athletes and coaches and fans and student bodies as our focus, then I think the decisions become a lot easier.
0: Well, Dr. Zayas, appreciate a few minutes and uh, stay safe and uh, have a good rest of the spring and a good summer. And uh, we'll, hopefully, we'll talk in the fall and then uh, we'll have some good news. Hey, thank you so much. Take care. Be safe. Next up is Ed Dopp. Ed, uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. I know it's been a, a tough time for everybody here in Section Two Athletics. Uh, and again, again, thank you for a few minutes here.
2: Oh, well, Ken, thank you for having me.
0: Well, let's talk about the decision that was made Monday not to have uh, Section 2 playoffs. It seems like this was the inevitable decision, even though you are probably holding out hope you were going to try to have some kind of uh, postseason.
2: Well, our our Section 2 executive committee um, is is a group of individuals that are just passionate about interscholastic athletics and what our student-athletes gain by participating, and no one on that – committee um, wanted to throw in the towel. Uh, We certainly didn't want to do it prematurely, but we did reach the point in time where we just felt, um, you know, logistically probably more than anything else, uh, the timetable just didn't allow for the opportunity to have any kind of a quality uh, postseason tournament.
0: Uh, How bad do you feel for the student athletes, especially the seniors?
2: Our our hearts break for them. Um, I wish I had the right words to say to them. I don't. It's terrible. Uh, It's something that for the seniors they can never get back, and that is uh, extremely unfortunate. Um, You know, we were all athletes at one time, have been coaches in our career, dedicated our lives to this profession it hurts I said to people last week it's been emotionally and physically draining and, and what makes it draining is because we know the impact it has on kids um it, it, it's I, I wish I knew what to say to them I really don't other than hope as long as we could
0: yeah is there a- an understanding for the coaches and the administrators that you know, this is one of those just unfortunate situations that you know, everybody's accepting that you had to make this decision.
2: Yeah, I have to be honest. You know, we took input from uh, you know late presidents who talked to all of our ads. Our, our executive committee is comprised of superintendents, principals, school administrators, financial officers. Uh, We talked with the district O.C.'s superintendents. And and obviously I was in touch with my colleagues uh, across the state as well. So, you know, a lot of input went into it. Nobody wanted to pull the plug. But I I think um, I I can tell you that, you know, in the world of athletics, uh, we often are criticized for just about everything we do. I know there's a lot of disappointment over this decision, I honestly can say I, I have not received any criticism. I think people understand and, and put it in perspective.
0: Of course, the next decision that has to be made, and as we tape this on Tuesday, things could change between now and the time uh, the podcast is posted on Thursday. Uh, regular season for, for the schools. Um, obviously, May 15th is still considered. Uh, schools will be closed until May 15th. I mean, obviously, uh, Governor Cuomo could change that. Uh, extended further, so uh, what's, what's the uh, outlook, uh, outlook right now as far as having some sort of a regular season?
2: Well, our position in Section 2 all along has been to try to hold out as long as we possibly can if there's an opportunity that we could have our student-athletes participate at all. Um, that could be one contest, two uh, realistically, I probably don't see more than, you know, a half dozen perhaps just because of the timeline. Um, and I don't, I don't believe our position has changed on that at all. There are still some questions that are unanswered that will have a major impact on that. Um, certainly, if, if the governor uh, extends the school closures, or for that matter, if he does open some schools, But the restrictions that are still in place, you know, prevent us from engaging in interscholastic activity and and groups of more than whatever the number might be. Um, You know, those decisions will be made for us. But uh, if the opportunity allows for us to give our student-athletes the chance, uh, our position has been and I believe will continue to be, we would leave that up to the local uh, school districts, the superintendents, athletic administrators, boards of education, and for those that want to play, I anticipate there would be some that probably would not. Uh, not that they don't want to. I probably shouldn't say that, but that uh, feel it's not in the best interest, or they can't put it, you know, together. Um, for those that want to, uh, we certainly wouldn't stand in the way of them having an opportunity to have a contest or two or three and hopefully be able to maybe recognize those graduating seniors.
0: I know down in Long Island, Sections 8 and 11 uh, uh, ended up canceling their seasons. Uh, have you any reaction to that? I mean, was there ever been talk with with the Section 2 athletic uh, uh, Athletic directors about that?
2: Well, we, we have been talking all along about, you know, that has been an option. Uh, all of the sections have been considering where we're at. Um May 18th is getting very late. Again, uh, we're operating under the assumption that uh, previously scheduled all state championships were scheduled to wrap up on Saturday, June, I believe it was 13th, yes. Sunday to 14th. So we, we're still operating as that's kind of our end date. If in the best scenario, and I do think this is unlikely, but in the best scenario, If we got the go-ahead on May 18th, NISPA is going to uh, tell us, uh, I believe they're probably going to start the clock over on required number of practices. Uh, That would be six for all spring sports, except baseball. Baseball would need ten. So that would realistically leave us about three weeks to get some contest in. If that date goes beyond May 18th, um, we hope we don't have to, but we could reach a point where, with, again, the input from all of those uh, groups that I mentioned earlier, it, it may just, in fact, be time to say we tried to keep the light burning as long as we could, but, but it's time to uh, say spring sports are done.
0: I talked to the uh, executive director of the state, uh, Dr. Robert Zayas, earlier Uh, in the podcast, and he was mentioning that uh, looking ahead to the fall, they're forming an ad hoc committee to see what they can do to get the fall season going. Uh, What about Section 2 as far as looking ahead toward the fall, and uh, if this uh, uh, we still have a situation with this pandemic?
2: Yeah, we started our conversations about the fall uh, about two weeks ago. Um, We, too, are forming a committee. Our president, Joe Sapienza, and past president, Chris Cullman, uh, are putting together a committee uh, to start looking at anything and everything, uh, starting with if we're able to start on time, what are the challenges we're going to face? Uh, you know, Getting physicals for fall student athletes, getting coaching certifications, those type things, uh, right on up to the extreme. What if we can't get started On time, is there an option? Obviously, we would have to work with NISPA and the other sections, but is there a chance to somehow condense the three sports seasons into the school year at time frames that we have never seen or used before? But uh, we are starting to at least brainstorm what those challenges and potential solutions could be.
0: Yeah, I saw one suggestion out on Twitter where maybe you put the football season in the spring and move the baseball to the fall. I mean, I don't know how uh, viable that is.
2: Yeah, you know, that, that, <laughs> that suggestion has been around for years. You could make a decent argument for it one way or the other. But, you know, every time you're going to look at any kind of a change, let alone a drastic change like that, Um, Certainly, a lot of things have to be looked into, Um, you know, weather in our area is a huge factor. Uh, In addition to that, we also have to be very conscious and aware, and we do have good numbers to, to base this information on, but, you know, you don't want to start moving things around and then really force student athletes to choose one sport over the other. I think the majority of us would, would say while there are certain cases where sports specialization is, is what should happen, I think the overall majority of us believe that providing the opportunity for student-athletes to play uh, at least two, if not three seasons, is very important at the high school level.
0: Well, I'd appreciate a few minutes, and uh, hopefully next time we talk we have some good news uh, for the uh, high school student athletes in the sports seasons,
2: I certainly hope so. And uh, I, again, I thank you and and all of your colleagues for helping us get the message out. And, and most importantly, you know, there's a lot of things going on in in our world right now, and they're they're far more serious than interscholastic athletics. But interscholastic athletics is still very important to to our student athletes and to us. And, and we thank you folks for. Uh, getting it its due diligence. Well,
0: I appreciate you saying that, Ed, and uh, stay safe out there, okay?
2: You too. Take care now.
0: Coming up, I'll talk with former Union College hockey goalie Troy Grosnick. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and CastBox. Hi, this is Ken Schott, Associate Sports Editor of the Daily Gazette and host of the Parting Shots podcast. The coronavirus has affected many American lives. To help prevent the spread of the coronavirus, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention have the following tips avoid close contact with people who are sick, cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue, then throw the tissue in the trash. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects and surfaces. Stay home when you are sick, except to get medical care. And finally, wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. For more information, go to www.cdc.gov COVID-19. Follow the Daily Gazette's continuing coverage of the coronavirus online at dailygazette.com and in the print edition. Back on the Parting Shots podcast. On Monday, the American Hockey League, you do remember the AHL capital region, don't you? Announced its winner of the Yannick Dupree Memorial Award, given to the AHL player for his outstanding contributions to his community and charitable organizations. The winner of the award was Milwaukee Admirals goalie and former Union College standout Troy Grosnick. I caught up with Troy on Tuesday to talk about the award and how he and his family are handling the pause in the AHL season because of the coronavirus pandemic. Troy, thanks for coming on the podcast, and I uh, hope you're staying safe out there in the Midwest, and you and your family.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me. We're, uh, yeah, we're buckled down here in Minnesota, and uh, everyone's good so far, so yeah, we just uh, we hope everyone else is uh, trying to stay as happy and healthy as possible in uh, these times, but yeah, everything's good here.
0: Yeah. Uh, it was announced Monday by the American Hockey League that you were named the uh, Yannick Dupree Memorial Award AHL Man of the Year. Uh, congratulations on that. Talk about what that award means to you.
3: Yeah, obviously, just humbled and honored to, to receive the award. It's, um, it's kind of hard to, to put into words. Obviously, you don't really do community service, um, to, to get awards like this, but, uh, it's just really special to me, um, playing in my hometown and, um, back on all the all the people that affected me growing up and and uh how lucky i was to have teachers coaches mentors and family that i had growing up in in that community um and it's just uh i was able to do just do a lot of of small things to try to uh kind of pay it forward um and hopefully help uh touch kids lives and uh that's really really the only goal was was uh you know, to hopefully impart some of the wisdom that that I was lucky enough to receive growing up to kids uh, in the area.
0: Yeah, I'm looking at some of the uh, things you are doing with the admirals, and I'm just wondering when did you have time to actually play hockey? <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, I mean, it, um, it, it's funny. I mean, it, the list looks—I feel like the list looks a lot more extensive than um, than it actually feels like going back on and part of that is I just really like, you know, enjoy, enjoying time with kids, um, whether it's it's kids playing hockey or, or kids going through a battle of some sort, um, you know, whether that's, you know, cancer or other diseases or, um, whatever it may be, just, uh, you know, I, I love being able to play interact with kids and, you know, I think it's just really important for people, uh in general to uh, try, try to help uh, make kids' lives better. And at the end of the day, they're the future of, of society. And uh, hopefully, you know, if we can teach them well, they, uh, they leave things better for, for their kids. And uh, just a positive, positive on down the line. So that's kind of my goal. And um, hopefully, uh, hopefully, at least a couple kids have learned something.
0: One of these is uh, make a save, uh, save a life. You pledge a dollar for every save you make this season. Did you ask your teammates to have it just stay out of the way and have them at the opposition take a lot of shots on you? <laughs> uh,
3: no. Uh, we, at the end of the day, it's not something that uh, I'm thinking too much in the game, but it's just a, a cool way to integrate uh, hockey into uh, helping support kids with cancer and their families and hopefully finding a day that uh, someday there's, there's not childhood cancer. And uh, that's really the goal of it. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, the ongoing joke was, uh, you know, if, if the shopkeeper didn't put one up there, that he wasn't just uh, affecting my staff, he was uh, affecting kids. Too. So that was a, that was an ongoing joke during the year.
0: Speaking of kids, I just think I saw you recently posted on Facebook that you were, and your wife were expecting me again.
3: Yeah, we're uh, we're expecting a little girl in September, and we already have Beckett, our little boy. He's uh, he'll be two and a half in May. So uh, time flies, and uh, he's been been awesome, just a bundle of joy, and uh, so much fun right around this age. He he, uh, he loves playing any sport, and he loves playing with cars and trains. So right up my alley. And um, yeah, we're looking forward to to meeting our little girl in September,
0: well, congratulations on that. uh, do you have your son play on skates yet?
3: yeah, he's uh so he got his first pair of skates uh right around November December last year, and uh, we got him all, all the hockey stuff, most of it was a little bit big, but uh, yeah, he started kind of being able to i don't know if I call it skating, but shuffling around on the ice uh, on his own uh actually in December, so um, it's pretty crazy just all the things that uh, I mean kids learn so quick that um, it, it just it honestly amazes me I mean he got a bike like two days ago and he's already pedaling it around so uh, with training wheels of course yeah. but um, it, it's crazy how fast they learn things and um, yeah he uh, we, <laughs> we didn't expect too much when, when we got him on the ice the first time and it was just uh, two or three times and he was standing on his own and and uh, doing what he could out there, so it's been a lot of fun to see uh, to see his improvement and just how much fun he has when he when he gets to go on the ice.
0: Well, let's talk about the season for the Admirals, uh, Troy. Um, you guys are had the best record in the AHL when the uh, the uh, pause hit here, 90 points on the season, seven fourteen uh, winning percentage. Uh, how tough has this been? Uh, it looked like you guys were a Calder Cup contender.
3: Yeah, obviously, I mean no one wanted the season to uh to be paused like it has been um and uh yeah we just had to have a really good team really tight knit team and um you know we're, we're hoping that uh they give us the, the all clear to start playing again but um we're just kind of going through this it's, it's not in our control and we're all trying to stay ready on our own to play um if and when they do give us that that all clear but uh yeah, it, it definitely was a special team, and um, yeah, like you said, I think it was probably, probably just about the best chance um, I've had in my career to uh, make a really long run and try to win a Caller Cup. So uh, we're hoping that we, we're able to get back on the ice together, but uh, like I said, uh, factors are out of our control, and we've done what we could, so um, we just kind of have to take take things as they come.
0: I mean, for a league like the American Hockey League, uh, if they don't play in front of fans, that's this is a, really a,
3: a, a league
0: that has to have fans in the stands. I mean, do you, I mean, does it look like? I mean, what have you heard from uh, your organization about what the, the future holds for the league? Is you know, trying to you know, restart it?
3: Yeah, it's obviously not um, not ideal um, for us not to play in front of fans. We don't have the TV contracts like like the NHL does. And, um, it sounds like the NHL is going to be able to start up, um, in some way or fashion. And we're just kind of waiting to hear, um, obviously the leagues are so intertwined. Um, and a lot of what happens in the NHL stems from, uh, what happens in the NHL. So, um, I think once, once the NHL decisions are in place, um, it'll, it'll help clarify what the American league's doing. Um, don't really know too much, um, just, uh, you know, just trying to stay prepared. And, um, that's been kind of a a little bit of another ongoing joke is, you know, we kind of, we kind of find out as the world finds out, you know, we see all the same rumors on Twitter and, um, there's, uh, there's probably a lot of talks going on, um, about what, what's going to happen, but just the nature of the situation is, it's ever changing. And, um, you can only plan so far in ahead for all, for all these uh, scenarios so um, yeah we just kind of uh, taking it a day at a time and um, until we have anything official uh, that's going to be our, our mantra.
0: Yeah uh, obviously you're in the National Predators organization you uh, originally started with San Jose uh, what's your standing what's your feeling with the, what the Predators would like to do with you I mean. Uh, I mean, Peck already is not getting any younger, I and mean, it seems like the, the team's a little bit in flux with the coaching change that was made uh, midseason. Uh, what are your th- thoughts about uh, with the Predators and what your chances are maybe getting a, uh, a shot with them?
3: Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say. Uh, this is the final year of my contract. Um, they, they've got Peck's there, obviously. UC's um, there as well. And he's, a, he's a really good young goalie, and um, with me, in, uh, in Milwaukee, we got Connor Ingram, who's also just a, I mean, awesome awesome teammate, awesome goalie, um, and he's young too. So I uh, don't really know what, what our status will be. Um, obviously, we'll, we kind of have to figure out what's going on if we're playing, uh, stuff like that, and uh, let, uh, let the chips fall where they may um, when it comes to to my next contract. But I uh, can't say enough about really both organizations I've been a part of as a pro both San Jose and Nashville just um always treat me really well and um you know I don't think it's uh it's an accident that both of those organizations have have always been perennial playoff teams uh just the way they're in. and uh very lucky to be where I'm at and obviously uh with Nashville being a play at home when I'm in the American Hockey League is is a huge bonus so um Obviously, you know the thing—the thing that uh, when it comes to where your future lies uh, in pro hockey—is is things change every day. You know, there could be a trade, you know, tomorrow, and and you know it changes things. So um, we're just kind of focusing on on staying ready to play this year and uh, figuring things out uh, after that. Of course, it's, next, uh, yeah.
4: of
0: course not next- really, a can do. Of course, next summer uh, Seattle will have the expansion draft for them. Is mean, that's another obviously maybe a chance for to you for you maybe to get another look at the NHL.
3: Yeah, um, like I said, you, you, who knows? Um, the expansion draft always uh, throws another wrench into into the summer, and um, you know, at the end of the day, my goal is still to play in the NHL, and um, we're gonna going to do our best to to put ourselves in a a spot to get there again and um, you know at the end of the day I control what what I control and um, that's my preparation and and my work ethic and and my attitude and I'm just going to take care of those things and um, you know if someone's willing to give me a shot then uh, you know I'll be prepared to uh, to make the most of it.
0: Before I let you go, Troy, uh, just past Sunday we ran, uh, we obviously were looking for story ideas and one of the things we were doing our fantasy drafts and, uh, we had the, uh, I conducted the Union College Hockey Fantasy Draft and I think, believe you were the first goaltender selected in the draft, so how does that feel?
3: <laughs> yeah, it feels good. I mean, we, uh, we've obviously had pretty good run of goalies and, um, a lot of credit to Tapper, um, and even goalies that were there before me, um. You know, I learned a lot from Milo, who who was a senior my freshman year. And, um, you know, I think Koenig and and Mayotte, Mayotte, I mean, really good goalies uh, coming out of Union. Uh, Obviously, Baker, the first NHL player from Union. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's an honor and uh, I'll take it, but uh, I'd rather have NHL games played.
0: <laughs> Obviously, um, uh, we, we did the draft. We basically focused on the Division one. but I know somebody on Twitter mentioned Steve Baker, but uh, then they read the criteria, and it's like, okay. It was. Yeah, but uh, it was a it was a, a lot of fun to do. I mean, I got Colin Stevens. I actually thought about Trevor Coonings I covered Trevor uh, back in the 90s, and uh, he had that great year, his junior year, when he uh, – help lead union to a fifth place finish and won the Ken Dryden award but uh I ended up with Colin Stevens because you know he's got the most wins at a national championship.
3: Yeah, it's hard to hard to argue with that national championship. Um and uh you know I just had so so much fun at Union and, and Colin's a great goalie. He's still a great friend. We keep in touch and I uh, couldn't be happier for those guys that won that national championship. I was I was their biggest fan. Uh, I'll never forget uh, that when they won it, uh, we were actually playing a game in Worcester, and I had our I had our equipment manager giving me updates in between periods on what was going on. And uh, when our game ended, it was actually the end of the second period of of the national championship game. And uh, it was the quickest I've ever gotten out of the locker room. Um, (laughs) Maggie. We were engaged at the time, and um, we just—I uh, I just told her we're getting back to the, the apartment as fast as possible. And it was only like a five-minute drive from from the rink in Worcester to our apartment. And hustled in the car, got there for the start of the third period. And I mean, I, I don't know if uh, the rest of the the rest of the apartment building probably thought that I was throwing a big party, but it was really just me making all the noise uh, that whole third period. So is awesome and uh just uh really honored to have played with those guys and so proud um of what they accomplished and proud to be a part uh of union college uh, hockey and uh you know it's just it's a it's a close-knit family and and we all stay in touch uh to this day and it's great right now we're kind of in the phase of we see each other uh at weddings every summer and um wayne wayne simpson's supposed to be getting married this summer so Hopefully uh, the, the travel uh, risks are are mitigated by then and, and we'll all be, be able to see each other uh, at that wedding. So it's just a lot of fun to be able to look back on our time at Union. It's definitely special for all of us.
0: Well, Troy, it was a lot of fun covering you when you played there and I you always are stand-up uh, win or lose, and I always appreciated that. And uh, thank you for coming on the uh, podcast and uh, stay safe and uh, yeah, congratulations once again on the award and congratulations on the uh, upcoming uh, daughter in September.
3: Thanks, Ken. Appreciate it. Uh, Hope you guys are staying happy and healthy.
0: Yeah, thanks again, Troy.
3: Yeah, no worries.
0: Up next, I'll speak with retiring Dartmouth men's hockey coach, Bob Godet. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and CastBox.
1: Hi, this is Daily Gazette Sports Editor Michael Kelly. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Shaw.
0: Welcome back and thanks for listening. My next guest has been a fixture in college hockey from his days as a goalie for Dartmouth and then his 32 years as a head coach, nine at Brown and the last 23 at Dartmouth. Last week he announced his retirement. He was one of my favorite coaches to talk to during my 25 years of covering Union College hockey. Please welcome Bob Goodhart to the podcast. Bob, how are you doing, my friend? Good, thanks, Ken. My friend, it's it's great to uh, catch up with you, and great to hear you. Thanks for having me on. I really, really appreciate it. Well, now that I'm retired, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you you could do start doing podcasts, right? (laughs) Exactly, it's outstanding. But happy to do it. Thanks for. uh, I appreciate you coming on, Bob. And you know, like I said, you know, I've, I've known you since, you know, when I started covering union hockey back in 1991, you were at Brown at the time. It just reflect Why, why, why now? Why, why, would? why did you decide to uh, hang it up now?
4: Well, it's, um, it's interesting, Ken, you know, the, um, you know, the whole thing with COVID-19, it's, it's been tough for everybody. You know, obviously the poor people that have been afflicted and have been sick. And, um, we're all working from home. Um, and so I've just had some time, and I think time's a dangerous thing. So, you know, I've been, I've been able to uh, work from home, obviously, and stay on top of things. But it, it just gives me an opportunity to put things in perspective and prioritize. I've got um, elderly parents. My dad's going to be 90 in a couple of months, my mother's 88. They still live in the same house we grew up in in Saugus, Massachusetts. So I want to get down when things settle down here and, um, and help them out and um, I, my wife also, she, my wife's been by my side through this business for 37 years, all the years that I've been coaching, she's been a coach's wife, and um, she's been just terrific, and I, I just think it's time to reconnect that way, and it's, uh, but it's been fantastic, and you know, it's. Uh, I've been blessed, you know, with a great opportunity, Brown gave me a chance when I was a 29-year-old to be a head coach, and, um, you know, and to come to Dartmouth, and be able to be here 23 years, have all those great um, guys that played here and have those great relationships, and, you know, coach my two sons, watch my daughter go through college at Dartmouth. It's just been incredible. So I'm very blessed and very thankful.
0: And, of course, your wife, I believe, went to Dartmouth, didn't she?
4: She did, yeah. She was a classmate, a class of 81. Um, We met um, in college, obviously. But I remember a photo that we took um, during graduation, right after graduation on the green at Dartmouth where the uh, graduation was held and uh, we look back at that photo and to think all these years later you know we would have come back to our alma mater and had kids go to school here and have a chance to coach the kids and be the hockey coach my wife got a great Dartmouth alumni award a real a prestigious award for all the work she's done for Dartmouth in alumni relations for 19 years Uh, she retired a a couple of years ago so yeah it's been it's been great ken it's here, great and there's real good people like yourself that i've met along the way that uh love the game and support it and um so yeah it's been it's been fantastic tough to tough to do to give it up but it's been fantastic yeah I mean,
0: what led you to become a college coach
4: it, it's fine, ken i i didn't see myself coaching um my my old coach george crow who passed away just a um, a year and a half ago or so. I owe him greatly. He, he was my mentor. He saw something in me. I, I I graduated from Dartmouth in 81. I signed with the Winnipeg Jets, and I wasn't good enough or in the right place at the right time or whatever. And in 83, he offered me a coaching job just out of the blue. I hadn't coached at all. And back then, there was only one assistant um, you know, with the varsity teams at the Division One level. And uh, he brought me on started me in coaching and um you know 37 years later you know i was still doing it it's just incredible but uh i i owe george so much because he saw in me something that i didn't see in myself and um uh, you know it's great he was a great mentor and a great friend to me
0: when you took over at brown uh what was it like i mean i it was some struggles early on i believe
4: <laughs> that's, a, that's an understatement yeah. <laughs> i took over there and um in fact, I just got a great note from John Perry, the athletic director, that um, I've been overwhelmed with people who have reached out, but John Perry, the athletic director that hired me at Brown, related a story to me that I I called him out of the blue. I don't think I was being interviewed for the job, and I called John directly, and I said, John, Bob Godhead, assistant coach at Dartmouth, when can I come and talk to you about the job? <laughs> and he said, he said, how about tomorrow? <laughs> and... Uh, I came, and, and I, I wasn't their top choice. <laughs> I know that. They, they offered me the job, and uh, yeah, the struggle, you know. So so I went from Dartmouth being the assistant coach to Brown being the head coach. We went to Dartmouth our first game um, as a Brown coach, head coach, my first head coaching game. And we won, I think it was 3-2. to two. We beat Dartmouth. Um, All the guys that I coached, we beat them in their own building, and then we went on to lose 25 straight games. We were 1-25 my first year, and that's the other really amazing thing to think that, you know, the resilience, you know, I I look at that as just a a great thing, because I saw the dark side right away, and so, and and, and then to be in the NCAA tournament four, maybe five years later at Brown, you know, I, I had a great staff, and... Really really good players, and um, that was a really fun rebuilding process, but I owe Brown an awful lot, and uh, you know those early struggles really helped me understand you know how precious the good times are. I think
0: yeah, some of those mid ninety teams you had at Brown were some pretty good teams out there.
4: yeah, we had an interesting team, really hard working team, uh, a skilled team, I had some really, really good players um. You know, Scotty Borick and um, Brian McCluskey came in and really helped helped me. Two Dartmouth guys, actually, dear friends, helped me get that thing going. And then Brian DeRocher and and Jamie Rice uh, were fabulous. And, you know, we worked really hard. Brendan Wittett was one of my players, the head coach at Brown now, and he eventually came up to Dartmouth with me for 11 years. Um, But we had some some really good players, uh, but I work ethic on our team so it was just a fun experience and and i wasn't much older you know relatively speaking than a lot of the players when i started i was in my 20s when i started so it was uh, yeah it was just a great process and a great learning um chance for me and um you know it was it was really cool and i have a lot of friends down there at brown it's you know one of my favorite places and uh but i had the opportunity to come back to dartmouth and that's what i did
0: yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. I mean, how was that an easier decision to return to Darby? Because that was an, another rebuilding situation.
4: Yeah, it was. Um, it was a place, Ken, that my kids, who were young, you know, I, Joey, I think, was nine, Jimmy was seven, and Kelly was just a little bit of a thing. She was, you know, one going on two. Um, but the ringleader Joe had been up here, and Jimmy had been up here for reunions and stuff like that. So they they came very willingly. Um, to Dartmouth. I had an opportunity to go to Ohio State. I was offered the head coaching job there out of, out of the blue at one point, and um, that one didn't seem the right fit. Wonderful place, um, but it didn't seem like the right time frame. It was a couple years before I went to Dartmouth, and um, coming to Dartmouth was a natural because the kids had been up here, and, you know, we love the place. And I owe the school so much. Um, it was really great. And then the youth hockey system in Hanover, New Hampshire was fabulous. The kids... Played youth hockey and won state championships and went to nationals and all kinds of things. And in high school, played for just great coaches. Both the, um, my sons with the boys team and, and my daughter with the girls team. They won state championships and it was really fabulous. And the boys eventually played at Dartmouth and Kelly came to Dartmouth um, also. So it was it was so cool. You know, it's a really really neat environment. One thing
0: I've always liked about you, Bob, when you know when I cover games and it's your passion. I you mean, you. Don't hold back. I mean, there's times you give, gave the, the officials uh, some some lip, but it was. But at the end of the day, I mean, you afterwards, it was always uh, never never complain about officiating. You always were complimentary of. Uh, but what about your passion? I mean, just uh, the high energy you had behind the bench. Did you ever worry about maybe going too far?
4: Yeah, I was. You know, I, I did. Um, and um, the passion was something that I. I just kind of came upon naturally. I, I'm actually Irish, despite the name, and uh, I think I got that, you know, a little bit in the genes. Um, but I did have to, you know, I think especially when my kids came to school, it, it dawned on me that, you know, I, I, you know, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna be able to do this for as long as I wanted to do it, I've got to pick my spots. And um, but you know what's funny, Ken is is my passion. Like even with the referees, I've got a lot of. Um, messages from referees we had a lot of fun they're, they're good guys you know and they have a hard job and so it was never anything personal it wasn't ever cutting somebody down or or um you know insulting them or anything like that um what it was far is when I was at Brown when I started we needed a lot of help you can imagine in the 1 in 25 season the kids needed my support so I started actually sticking up for our kids and doing it very vocally.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: And and it, I created a little bit of a monster. It's part of my, maybe part of my mentality a little bit, but I I started and I, I just, you know, it was was what it was. But I've never belittled our kids, never yelled at our kids on the bench or on the ice. And, and I was trying to support them, you know, trying to, trying to get the best call. But I have a really, you know, interestingly, I have, and you know a lot of people, I actually have a really good relationship with the referees. Because there's a lot of give and take. There's a lot of one liners and there's a lot of jokes that go back and forth. And, you know, it's actually pretty funny when you're on the bench because you try to keep the guys light, you know.
0: One particular game, and I, I, if you remember, Elliot Oshansky used to cover uh, ECAC for USHO.com. There was a game at uh, Thompson Arena back on January 31st, 2004. And uh, that game it was a 7 nothing Union victory. in that game, Grant Lewis got called for a major hitting from behind and a game misconduct uh, 19 seconds into that. And Union went on to score three power play goals. And what Ellie always talks about this game was what happened after the postgame. And he was waiting for me to ask the first question, and I sort of let him do it. Being, I was being courteous, and then he you know, he claims I threw him under the bus because I didn't ask the first question. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you, I don't think you were happy with the call that uh, on the Grant Lewis hit from behind. Uh, it was John Murphy was the referee that night. As I'm looking at the uh, score sheet from that game.
4: Oh yeah, John and Dan were they, they were good too, you know. And, and they, they did a lot of games. And you know, like uh, I, I don't remember exactly the call. You know, they're all a blur now. But Grant Lewis is one of my, you know, he's a dear friend and uh, a kid that I absolutely love. I went to his wedding a few years ago in Milwaukee, and it was just a hoot. There was about, I don't know how many Dartmouth former players there, and, and I was there, and we just had a blast. And uh, he was one of my favorite guys, really, really good player. And I uh, went on to play played some with Atlanta in the National League, and uh, so I'm sure I was just sticking up for him and giving Murph a hot time. Yeah.
0: You had you know, many players go to the NHL. I mean, Ben Lovejoy won a cup with Pittsburgh. At least Demniak had a... Yeah, pretty good career. Uh, how proud are you of the guys that made it to the NHL?
4: Oh, really proud. You know, there was, there was a bunch of them that, that did. And some of them, you know, you mentioned Ben Lovejoy. And um, you know, he brought the Stanley Cup back, you know, when they, when Pittsburgh won it in 16 and actually filled the building August 1st of 2016. I just thought it was so gracious of Ben to bring the Stanley Cup back. And he signed every photo and took a picture with anybody that wanted it. Too, and uh, I thought that was great, and he helped us out this year in a volunteer um, assistant role. I think he's got a. I think he's got a future in coaching. He's, he's very, very talented. Really good guy. Very honest. And the guys aspire to be what he became. And then Stepniak was just a just a fabulously skilled player. Played for a bunch of teams, but had a really good career and made a lot of money. And another guy was Tanner Glass. Yeah. You know, so they ran the gamut. You know, that, that's just a few of them. But Tanner was one of those guys that probably nobody predicted to, to have the NHL career that he did but he was just a passionate hard-working tough kid that did what he had to do to, to help his hockey team and he did the same in college and, and as a pro he was you know he had a really great career and there's a you know there's a lot of them that, that played over the course of time but those are, are three guys that are um, are very different different positionally different skill sets and but just all wonderful guys but I'm I'm equally as proud as those kids that went on to other things Ken you know that you know I see them at reunions and stuff and they come back with families and they're great husbands and fathers and um you know that really makes me proud because they're really really good guys And you know hockey players that way and to me it's all about those relationships we have with the kids you know you go from a a coach to a friend after they graduate and um you know that's a really neat thing and and uh, that's something I really um cherish
0: how do you think the game of college hockey has changed over the time you've coached?
4: Well, the speed of the game is, is ridiculous. You know, at times I'm on the bench and, you know, I graduated in 81, and I'll, I'll say to somebody, one of the assistant coaches or something, you know, geez, did I ever play this game? You know, because the game is so fast and frenetic. Um, the training's so much different. You know, we didn't lift weights. We, George Crow was ahead of his time in terms of conditioning. You know, but it was bodyweight exercises and calisthenics and stuff like that. But we didn't lift weights and didn't train specifically as hockey players. You know, so that's a big difference. The equipment's a huge difference, obviously. Everything's lighter. As a goalie, like I was, the puck actually hurt a lot of times when it hit you. And now the guys get hit in the head and it's a glancing blow. But when when I got hit, you know, geez, the gloves were off. (laughs) It stickles in the ear and it hurt so bad. Um, But I think, you know, uh, recruiting at the college level has tra- changed dramatically in, in the last few years, but over the last, you know, 32 since I've been a head coach, it's ridiculous the changes. We actually picked up kids when I was at Brown, their senior year of high school, and they came in that following fall and played for us. You know, that's unheard of nowadays. Yeah. You have to get them so early. And, um, you know, uh, so it's, it's, it's a much different thing. And then analytics, I think you know, has come into hockey like it has in so many sports. And, um, you know, I'm a little bit more old school. I've, I've been able to keep up with the times and and stay current. But, um, you know, I think analytics is going to start taking over a lot. And, you know, I'm, I'm more old school. I like eyeball analytics. You know, I like the, you know, the analytical stats can back up what you see with your eyes, I think, you know, yeah. and, and uh, so I was trained a little different way. But it's all it's all good. It's just, uh, it's a different game. But, you uh, it's all good, though. The kids are, are excellent and, and really, really good players.
0: Yeah, it's, it's funny you mentioned about the speed of the game. Uh, the other night, um, NBCSN had shown uh, the 1974 Stanley Cup Final Game 6 with my Flyers against the Bruins. And it's amazing to me <laughs> how the game I, – I was I grew up in Philadelphia and I was in, in the building that, that, that afternoon on May 19th.
1: Bill Bobber and Bernie Perron yeah, yeah,
0: and all Bobby those guys. And it's just Kelly, amazing, yeah. Yeah, it just amazes to me that – the game back then, you look at it as like it's slow motion. Guys are out there for two-minute shifts, and it's like nowadays yeah. if you're out there for 30 seconds, it seems like it's too long.
4: Exactly. You know, and that that was a, right about that time, Ken, as you recall, you know, just before that when uh, the Summit Series um, against Russia, mm-hmm. uh, the Canadians against Russia, the NHL pros, you know, that's what happened is, is the NHL guys – in that era, we're taking two-minute shifts, and the Russians were going thirty, forty-five seconds, and they were just coming in waves. And you know, so I think that the game has changed because of that influx of European influence, along with the North American, you know, kind of um, competitiveness. Um, you know, it's 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 a it's a it's, a, it's a really good game now. You know, but it's much faster, and and those guys. They had some long shifts. I remember watching Espo and some of those guys for the Bruins, because I was a big fan. When you were a Flyers fan, I was a Bruins fan, <laughs> so we would have been going toe to toe. But those were, those were those are great. Those are great days. A lot of room on the ice back then, yeah,
0: where there isn't now. You know, it was different. Of, game. And one other thing I noticed that seems like a lost art: the goaltender making a kick save. Like Bernie oh, Pratt, yeah. Pratt making the kick save on Ken Hodge late in the game there to preserve the one nothing lead. You know, you don't see that anymore. Goaltenders are just going down and
4: you know, it's a lost start. If you uh if you came to the odd Dartmouth or Brown practice, you might see it because what would happen is invariably one of our goalies would get would get a a, a few clips of me playing way back when. And they'd come out to practice and start making skates.
0: Question for you, Bob. Uh, what's your future hold?
4: Well, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna take a breather here. I've been going hard for 37 years, and like I said, I, I um, just, uh, you know, want to um, give back to my folks, to my wife. Um, and we'll see down the road. But I, I love to fish. I'm gonna get out and do some fishing. Um, we have a place in Freedom, New Hampshire, Lake Ossipee that uh, I'm gonna spend some time with and spend some time following my kids around a little bit. Um, and what they're doing. My son Joe is going to uh, be a, is a teacher at Holden's School, and and is um, going to be one of the coaches there for the hockey team. And my other son Jimmy coaches the Boston Bandits and um, junior hockey. And follow him and see my daughter out in LA. She's at UCLA at graduate school. Um, and then I am going to go back to something. It sounds weird, but I I was an artist all my life until I started coaching. I was right through growing up and right through college. I loved to paint and draw. And do all kinds of stuff, and I haven't done much of that at all since I've been coaching. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna get back into some of that stuff and take a little breather, Ken, and maybe come back and bug you somewhere. Who knows?
0: <laughs> I would appreciate that anytime, Bob. My friend. Like I said, it was fun, you know, chatting with you all these years, and let's let's keep in touch and uh, have fun in retirement and enjoy it. Thanks a lot, Ken. It's great to
4: catch up with you, and thanks for all your uh, support. And coverage of of, uh, hockey over the years. You're a good man. I love your passion for the sport. We always had fun catching up. So thanks. Um, Stay safe and healthy, and uh, all the best to your listeners, too. Take care, my friend. All right, take care of yourself, Bob. Thank you, my friend. That's Bob Gladdett.
0: We'll wrap up the podcast in just a moment.
4: I'm Dr. Howard Zucker, New York State's Health Commissioner. I'm calling on all New Yorkers to do their part to slow the spread of coronavirus. Everyone, even young people and those who feel well, stay home. If you must go outside, stay six feet from others. This will ensure everyone who needs hospital care can get it. This virus spreads even without symptoms. Stay home and stay safe. Be a part now so we can all be together later. Stay informed at health.ny.gov coronavirus.
0: to wrap up the podcast. Keep checking out dailygazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you're doing in this difficult time. And that wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I'd like to thank Dr. Robert Zayas, Ed Dopp, Troy Grosnick, and Bob Gaudet for coming on the show. The Parting Shots Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and CastBox. Subscribe today. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots Podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Parting Shots Podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers, I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Party Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports, and stay safe.